Hello, everyone, and welcome to the trustee table. I'm Amory Balzano, Director of Leadership and Governance at NAIS, and today I'll be speaking with Lisa K. Solomon. Lisa is a well-known thought leader in design innovation with a focus on helping leaders learn how to be more creative, flexible, and resilient in the face of constant change. Lisa is the founding chair of Transformational Practices and Leadership at Singularity University. She co-authored the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Moments of Impact, How to Design Strategic Conversations that Accelerate Change, and more recently, Design a Better Business, New Tools, Skills, and Mindsets for Strategy and Innovation. Lisa is a frequent keynote speaker on innovation, design thinking, and leadership at global conferences and business schools. A passionate educator, she is a designer in residence at Stanford University's Institute for Design and is taught at the Revolutionary Design MBA program at California College of the Arts. Lisa, thank you for taking a seat at the table today. Thank you so much for having me. You know, it's been so nice getting to know you through our work with the D School at Stanford. And I think when we first met, you were introduced as the futurist on the team. And to be honest, I wasn't even sure that what that was at the time. So I thought we could begin by defining this term for our listeners. So what is a futurist exactly? Absolutely. Well, the first thing I want to say about being a futurist is what it's not. <laughs> and what it's not is someone who predicts the future. There is no such thing as someone who predicts the future, certainly with 100% certainty. Uh, there are two different kinds of futurists, broadly speaking. One group, I would say, really focuses on trends and, and does take a look at, at kind of projecting out, backed by some data, around where certain trends may go. And they're really steeped in, in deep disciplines on certain topics. That is one group of futurists. There is another group that I'm a part of, which are really folks that have the skill set and capabilities to help imagine a multiplicity of futures that are really focused on the disciplines that allow us to flex our imagination, to take a long-term view of things beyond perhaps what we can see or what we feel comfortable knowing about, that are in a stance of taking a look at the outside in from a contextual intelligence standpoint, meaning that they're looking at trends broadly and asking how might those trends impact our industry or our organization. And they're constantly scanning and learning by engaging in conversations with multiple perspectives. So for me, and particularly in this moment that we're in right now, I think all leaders need to really think of themselves as futurists, because certainly where we are sitting now, uh, particularly eight months into this crisis of a global pandemic and other crises that are affecting us at the same time around economic challenges, certainly social justice, we all need to be in an outside in scanning and learning mode. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And so, so in thinking about that, you know, in terms of the context of our independent schools, how do you see a head of school or independent school trustees using that futurist lens then to make decisions? I think it's very much a both and. I mean, I recognize and have great empathy for where school leaders are sitting right now. They're being asked to be masters in a situation they frankly have never practiced. I mean, one of the things that I've noticed in my work teaching that you talked about in my bio around teaching at the MBA and design strategy now at the D school is that this notion of leadership is often associated with what we can administer 
you know, even think about the MBA, right? Mastering business administration, still one of the most popular graduate degrees that we have. I really think we need to reframe around mastering business ambiguity. So in many ways, I think that school leaders really need to start to pay attention to how they are thinking about the unknowns versus just trying to reduce risk on the knowns. And this is a very different posture. This is about asking questions as opposed to looking at the plan and trying to really wrestle it to the ground with a sensitivity analysis. This is about bringing in different perspectives. This is about looking at adjacencies, perhaps industries that are not even directly related, but maybe one step more removed to try to get inspiration and a deeper understanding of how they can think more broadly about the decisions that they're making. You know, as you were speaking, that reminded me a lot of the work that we've been pushing our schools to do right now, which is which is both scenario planning, right? So kind of looking at those multiple potential futures and trying to prepare for those. And at the same time, doing what we call environmental scanning, which I think is a little bit of what you were talking about earlier, this idea of, of looking at those outside forces that might be impacting the school, looking at trends and, and trying to figure out how they might be influencing potential outcomes as schools move through this time of uncertainty. Absolutely. And I think that some of the work that NAIS is doing, particularly around those two elements, are such a gift to all of the leaders that are, frankly, wrestling with the day-to-day realities of new uncertainties and unexpected uh, situations that are unfolding, which, Mm -hmm. you know, really takes a lot of energy. It's hard to kind of pick your head up and look at the 30,000 foot view to say, wait, what's happening when you're in that triage mode? So I think the work you're doing is such a gift. And I remember reading some of those scenarios. And as someone that's been doing scenario planning for almost 20 years, my colleagues and I joke like, I mean, it's not a funny joke, certainly, that we've never been more popular in the last Mm -hmm. six months. I mean, that the pandemic has really both emphasized what's unknown and the uncertainty that has really been surrounding us for a long time. It's just not quite as visceral and, and visual. And there's a real hunger to know what is on the other side of this. And what I would say is that the scenarios that groups like NAIS and others have created are so important, but they're not the end. They really mm-hmm. should be the beginning, that the scenarios created are really the platform to have a conversation, to say, wait, where are we in these scenarios? How prepared are we? How closely are we tracking them? What bets are we making if one scenario comes true or the other? They're not meant to be assets that get created that then sit in a static form. They're really meant to be starters of learning, starters of new kinds of investigation and new kinds of application of them. So it's a it's a very different way to take in that information and make it a living part of the strategic conversation. And getting back to what you're saying earlier about that idea of, of asking those kinds of questions, like the questions you were just posing, I think are so important, right? It's like taking that step back and using those multiple futures or those multiple scenarios as opportunities to engage in those generative questions. Because like you said, it's not a matter of, you know, looking at different scenarios and creating action plans around them and just kind of waiting to see what happens. Absolutely. I mean, it's really about trying to develop agency amidst all this uncertainty. I mean, one of the best things you can do when you take a look at a set of scenarios is to say, what's robust among all of them? I mean, we did this too at the D School. Early in March, we started our own scenario planning process. And we said, you know, how might the world unfold and why? What are some signals that we could see? And what do our students need across all of them? 
And one of the things that became apparent very quickly is that our students were going to need well-being and care. They were going to need connection. At the D school, so much of our learning is experiential. It's really based on trust and connectivity. How do you do that in a remote way? One of the things we did was we literally called every single student, over 200 students. We called, we just reached out and said, how are you? Uh, And this is really, at the end of the day, what we're about is really connecting around care and compassion. I mean, at the D School, empathy is such a big, big part of our learning that we recognize from the scenario planning process and even our own experience that that was the most important thing, right? We didn't need to see signals unfold to really know that across all of them, our students were gonna be hurting and that they would benefit from having a caring person reached out to them and just check in. That's a great example. And um, actually it's a great segue into my next question because you talked earlier about this idea of agency. We've talked about care now and compassion. So what else about futurist thinking can positively impact school communities, particularly during and after a global pandemic like what we're facing right now? It's a great, great question. And I think it's a discipline that we're going to see continue to build and to grow and a community of practice. And I'm really excited about how NAIS has leaned into it because I think you're sitting in a trusted community of leaders that could really benefit from having each other ask these longer term questions and to have the courage to do so. I mean, again, I have a lot of empathy for school leaders that are trying to navigate multiple stakeholders that are often looking for immediate answers. What's Mm going to happen to my child at the end of this semester, at the end of this year? Is my child going to get to college? And what is that going to look like? What do teachers need to feel supported? You know, what is the schedule going to look like? What about funding and all of those things? And all of those things are important and urgent and take a lot of energy. And at the same time, I think school leaders need to be asking those questions. What is school in service of? What does learning help our students in the form of helping them become thriving citizens in the world? How do we take some of what we thought to be true off given what might be more prioritized where we are right now? And sometimes that takes a longer view to, and, and the um, time and space to be able to have those conversations, right? To like fundamentally question, what is the role? What is the job to be done of schools? That's a big, big question. That's not a question that you settle in 10 minutes. <laughs> so I, I think that school leaders coming together and being willing to have those honest conversations to say, you know, what does the context of school mean in today's current environment? Where might it go? How do we collectively learn by having conversations with, say, industries across um, different disciplines? How do we understand where this sits within the context of history when there's been big disruptions in the past? How do we take a look at what's happening globally? Because one of the interesting things about when you think like a futurist is that you're not just using your imagination to think about other futures. You're also looking at different countries to say, wait, are they three months ahead of us, for example, in this pandemic or six months ahead? What have they done? How can we learn? So again, I think it's really about creating a collective community of leaders who are are, um, encouraging each other to be asking these questions and to pool their learning. Yeah, I, I love that 
idea. And I think that, you know, that sense of collectivity of, you know, sharing information, sharing knowledge can only benefit us as as we move into the future. And so, so given this extended time of uncertainty facing our schools, your book, Moments of Impact, How to Design Strategic Conversations that Accelerate Change, feels more relevant than ever. So how can independent school boards learn to engage in more strategic conversations, especially right now when they're dealing, like you said, with with so many issues and so many you know immediate problems that they need to solve? Such a great question. And I agree with you. I mean, we wrote the book several years ago, but it does feel more relevant than ever. And the premise of the book is that learning how to design strategic conversations, the kinds of conversations that are future focused, that require a discovery mindset by bringing people together of different backgrounds and experiences to learn together in order to come up with new ideas and then to find a way to test those ideas, to see if those ideas actually create value in the way that they're trying to create value. That's a very, very different approach than what I think a lot of leaders learn, which is to manage meetings. Mm -hmm. Meetings have an outcome. I mean, if you ask anyone to say, hey, what's going to make this meeting successful? Typically they say getting to next steps. And our point of view is if you aren't aligned about what it is that you're even spending energy towards, getting to next steps are not going to help you. It's like, you know, really rushing a decision without fully understanding what it is that you're deciding on. And so we just open up the book by saying this is the most important leadership skill that we're never taught. And so this notion that we can actually design strategic conversations, that there's a discipline about it, and this comes from a lot of work from my colleagues in scenario planning, where in many ways, scenario planning is really a designed conversation about the future. How do we explore multiplicity of futures? So I think the first thing that all school leaders will want to do in working with their board is to make sure everyone's on the same page about how they're going to work together in these board meetings, in these conversations, does a school leader even have the permission and the support of the board to be in exploratory mode? Or has the tradition been that the board meeting is about presenting the updates and the board really commenting on them? That's gonna be an individual decision for all, all school leaders. Hopefully, hopefully that there's enough trust that's been built up where a school leader can come in and say, look, I need your expertise differently right now. We're in a different place. Can I get your support that we can spend time together having these exploratory conversations so that we can be aligned in moving something new forward? There are no strategic plans from the past that are going to help us move forward. We have to reimagine it right now, and it's going to be all of us. It has to be a collective effort. You are on this board because you bring something special. Can I count on you to bring your full selves forward? Not just your critical self, not just your evaluative self, but your creative self, relationships that you represent. So that's, I think, one of the most important things that a school leader needs to be able to do is to just reestablish what is the role of this, uh, of, of how we work together. And then from there, what we say is that in thinking about the kinds of strategic conversations that you have, there's really three different types. The first one is really building alignment, building understanding about what it is that you are actually designing for, that you're actually putting energy for. The second part is 
uh, shaping options. So it's coming up with ideas on how to actually deliver on that first part, on that building understanding. And then the third part is making decisions. And like I said earlier, if what we are wired to do is make decisions because it feels good to force progress and we don't have the ability and the time and the space to slow down, that's when things really go off the rails because everybody thinks that they decide on something, but they haven't really been fully vested in the process. I love that that three-step process. Um, and actually, when you were talking about this idea of a discovery mindset, it sort of reminds me a little bit of what we ask our students to be as learners, right? We ask them to be curious. And I don't think that we necessarily always bring that sense of discovery or curiosity into the boardroom because, like you mentioned earlier, we are so hardwired to be making decisions. Absolutely. You know, so- and, and to be evaluating based on on what's known versus, I mean, how many how many school leaders get rewarded for like, wow, what a generative thinker you are, you know, <laughs> what a great open question that you have. Um, and even the whole sort of notion of like a board and a board meeting, right? Seriousness. And I'm not saying that these aren't serious conversations. Of course they are, but they already are laden with status. And this has been really interesting to me, Anne-Marie, over the sort of course of my years of trying to design conversations that have a discovery orientation. They're particularly hard to do when people are in highly uncertain environments because our brains are wired to pick up on threat, particularly social threat. So if we're in the like, am I going to be judged? Am I going to be outed? I don't really know what to do. Like your brain is not in its most flexible, open mind. It's actually in a defensive mode. It's in a fight or flight mode. So I think from the very beginning, that's why the framing is so important. It's critical that either the school leader or the board chair says, look, we are here today not to evaluate. We are here today to have an open mind about how we are going to share our expertise to reimagine what we can all do together and then take it from there. That is so important because otherwise we are going in with our old model of you're going to present an update, we're going to ask critiquing questions, we're going to make decisions. Without that clarity of the container of what it is that you're trying to do differently, it's going to be really, really hard. I couldn't agree with you more. And when, you know, when I'm thinking about this, it's it's what you're asking is for a real cultural shift, right? And it's it's almost like redefining the norms of engagement for for how people think about action planning and decision making, um, particularly during during this time of of change. Yes, yes, you cannot do this without culture change, and we know culture change is slow, so it's tricky, right? Because you want urgent actions, but it really requires a willingness to adapt and a willingness to change the way that you show up. And it won't be for everyone. I mean, that's the other thing is that like not everyone on the board, I'm sure is going to be comfortable, which is why the more clarity that a leader has in why this is so important, the more compelling it will be. So this notion of really coming in with a, with a clear point of view about what it is that is so critical as a foundational set of principles from which to build on. I I think that sometimes people have a misperception about design anyway, that it's completely rudderless or that it's like a blank canvas. 
And I would say, no, like, I think the best designers come in with a point of view that they then orient a discovery and learning process around. So the discovery process is maybe around doing empathy interviews with their students, with their teachers, with their alumni, with other stakeholders, you know, trying to kind of uh, really understand what are some of the pain points, what are some of the missed opportunities. And the learning process is really then bringing those ideas to life and iterating them on them based on feedback. Now, notice that that requires getting very close and very proximate with your stakeholders, understanding them, um, perhaps even more in some cases that they understand themselves. That takes time. But what a great thing for a board to be involved with. That way you're not making decisions based on sort of proxy ideas or this is what I think, or even sometimes I think schools can over-survey, for example, to try to get their information versus really having other conversations that they then come in and bring together you know, in a board conversation. I love that idea. And actually, when you you mentioned the idea of of doing the empathy interviews, it was a perfect segue into my next question, which is, you know, how can heads of school and their boards leverage futurist thinking to support, you know, that holistic care for the communities throughout the school year? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's a great question. And part of it is knowing, like, what is fixed, what is non-negotiable, and what is loose. Mm -hmm. And I think every school has a strong set of values that they've worked really, really hard to clarify. Every school, I imagine, has a strong mission that they've worked a long time to get right. Those are fixed. They tend to be fixed unless something drastic has changed. But but you can have a core sense of values and say, how might we enact these values differently, right? How might we take these values and use them to inform the way that we are going to support our students? Certainly, we've had to do a ton of adaption around remote learning recently. And now we have an opportunity to sort of, you know, take somewhat of a deep breath if we can to say, like, how do we design backwards a year from now? Right. And we're thinking about where we are. Like, what can we say about how we've supported our students using those values? Mm-hmm. And again, when you when you sort of project forward and then design backwards, it allows you to get into a much different place. Then when you're, when you're, for example, looking at a schedule and you're like, mm, how do we manipulate this to be more supportive? That's, you know, kind of like getting stuck in, in, in sort of the, the um, you know, thinking that something is more fixed when it may not be. And I'm not in any way trying to undermine how absolutely complex and difficult a schedule is. But if you sort of compare in terms of importance, like, is it important that we get the schedule right? Or is it important that we get the values right? <laughs> like, you know, all of a sudden you're starting to say like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. We got it. We got to start with our values. Okay. And then we can sort of like figure out how do we make changes in order to support an authentic and congruent um, way of uh, really living and enhancing those values. It's kind of reminding me of this idea of like, you know, what doesn't change, right? Do we start there? Like, what are the absolutes that we do not change when we're looking at, you know, futures and action plans or whatever. And again, that's like, that's, I think, one of the, you know, core disciplines of thinking about the future is to say like, okay, what are, what are the critical uncertainties? And then how do we understand those critical uncertainties in the form of a spectrum? Like, you know, how might they play out? And so even, for example, when we did our, our early uh, pandemic scenario planning, we would say, okay, like, you know, one big uncertainty is what is the duration of the pandemic? You know, is it sort of short and we're able to recover quicker or is it long and enduring? And then, you know, what are some 
drivers that might lead it to be more short. Oh, well, we'll have a vaccine ready. We'll have, you know, the uh, sort of therapeutics being developed. We'll have better testing. What might sort of indicate, even though we don't want it to be long, it to be long. You know, we, we're not able to, to get the PPE we need. You know, we're not able to take care of our most vulnerable. We don't have a coordinated plan. And so you could start to see these play out, but that's one way of understanding an uncertainty. But you can also say, but what do we know to be true? And what we know to be true is that right now we're in fall. Fall's going to turn to winter. Winter's going to turn to spring. Spring's going to turn to summer, right? And the year's going to end, right? Like there is no uncertainty about the fact that this is, we're in the middle of a school year and a school year is going to end. And so we can plan around some of those, you know, fixed elements that are quote unquote more predetermined. And then we can, gives us more room to sort of spend time researching the things that, you know, may be a little bit more uncertain to understand them. And I'll just share out like one very concrete tool that I love. This is one of my absolute favorite design tools for both design and futures. And it's simple, Amory. it's so simple. Mm -hmm. It's essentially, um, it's, it's a design criteria and there's four categories, must, should, could, and won't. And you can even have a school leader like work with their board and say like, looking at this year, like what must we do? What should we do? What could we do and what we won't do, right? And that alone provides clarity around, um, again, that's, I would call that a building understanding part to then say, well, when we shape options, let's make sure we're shaping options that are in the must category and make sure that we're not spending any energy on the things that are in the won't category, right? None of us have extra energy to spend right now. So I think that really helps us understand the part that are are really more fixed or uh, predetermined than, than uncertain. I love that framework. And I, I mean, I love the practical application of it. And I love the idea of overlaying on top of that, like you said, those those fixed elements, those the vision, the mission, the values of the school, those non-negotiables to really help you make those decisions about what goes into those four boxes. Yep. I mean, here, here's, a, I'll give you just another concrete example, because I, I feel a little bit like I'm talking very meta and I try to make all of these things very, <laughs> very applicable and accessible. So let's say that one of your criteria is must help the students feel connected, right? This is a moment where many of us are feeling isolated and we're feeling overwhelmed. Must make the students feel connected. Now, one way you could do that is that teachers will reach out or advisors reach out or the administration reach out. Another way is to foster a student to student, right? Like just because you've identified a thing like must help the students get uh, be connected doesn't mean that you're also prescribing and therefore we have to create a top-down programmatic view that, uh, then really taxes the teachers more. And then, you know, it's just another thing, right? You, you can sort of use that as an opening to say, and design might say, well, how might we help all students feel connected? And to really allow all options on the table that are centered on that very clear point of view that we want all students to feel connected. Actually, I love that your first reaction was like, we don't have to do it this way because I feel so often that we have those preferred solutions in our back pocket right? Like, well, this has always worked in the past, so we'll just do it this way. Absolutely. And I think there's an instinct to always make it top down and always make it programmatic, always to make, versus to say, no, how do we unleash creativity amongst our students? How do we help students uh, help each other? How do we honor and celebrate that effort as part of our community and as part of our school? I mean, I think one of the big things that I'd like to see more school leaders start to really uh, lean into is what can we take off? What can we take off? 
What can we take off from our uh, the expectations of our teachers uh, that that are getting in the way of first of all them feeling like they are supported and doing their best work, uh, their ability to work with teachers? What can we take off from students? So I think that there's huge opportunities for us to say like if we have clarity on the core, then what are the things that we can actually experiment with not doing? And even if it feels scary, because like, oh, as to your point, oh, we've always done it that way. You could say, look, we're going to experiment with this for now, right? For now, mm-hmm. we're going to experiment with it because we recognize that another given on any day is our own energy, you know, our own ability to be online, our own ability to be fully focused and fully present when we're trying to learn in these new ways, right? So, mm-hmm. so how might we take some other things off? I love that. That's, and I and I know that's going to resonate with with everyone, right? Because everybody feels like their plates are overflowing. Lisa, I I can't thank you enough for all of your time today. This has been such an energizing and amazing conversation. I so appreciate your time, and and I just know the insights that you've shared with us are really going to be helpful to our members. So so thank you. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate this opportunity. And I'm just so grateful for all the work you're doing to support school leaders and the communities that they work so, so hard to support. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Trustee Table. We've included some great resources on some of the areas we discussed at NAIS.org. And you can also keep an eye on that page for new podcast episodes. Please be sure to listen, rate, review, and subscribe to a new episode each month. Thank you for listening.